Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. So welcome to the History of the Heavyweight Championship of the World, a podcast from Yahoo with me, Steve Bunce. Watch now. Down he goes for the count of ten. In this series, I will take a look at one year in the sport's history. I will cover all the heavyweight championship fights, the stories, characters, outrageous acts, fairy tales, knockouts, controversies, inventions, and one or two lies. Well, certainly the truth being stretched. In short, all the details that matter. I started in 1960 with men that changed the sport forever. This will be no contest. This will be a total annihilation. Well, let, let him do the talking. He does enough for both of us. I would like to announce my retirement from boxing. Oh, well, I've been up and down a number of times. It's all here. Every fighter and fight that matters. Welcome to 1964. Sonny Liston was the world heavyweight champion at the start of 1964. He had agreed to fight Cassius Clay in Miami in February. It was the only fight left for Liston. He had beaten all of the contenders, pretenders and divisions feared and avoided men for a long, long time. He had been the chairman of that club. He had nobody left to separate from their senses. His two world title fights, one in 1962 and one in 1963, had lasted a total of four minutes and 16 seconds. He created a backdrop of fear. He was on a sequence of three one-round knockouts and he was not worried about being inactive. The ring beast seemed impervious to pain, any other human afflictions, and that included ring rust. He was, so people thought, untouchable. Liston told the press gathered in Miami just a few days before the fight with Clay, after next week it will be four fights in four rounds in four years. How good do I have to be? The bookies agreed. Clay was a big, big underdog. Liston arrived in Miami four weeks before the fight and Clay was there at the airport to meet him. And as Liston pulled away in a VIP golf buggy, Clay ran out onto the airport tarmac, screaming about the ugly bear and chasing the golf cart. It was great theatre, but then the prank nearly backfired. The cart stalled, Liston wanted to get out, and Clay kept his distance. Clay did have some options. There were men he could keep beating, and there were many who believed his crack at the title was simply too soon. Clay would be just 22, unbeaten in 19 fights, but he had never met a fighter anything like Liston. It was a risk. Some thought it was a stupid move. The experts debated how soon and how serious the beating would be. One British boxing writer was asked by his editor back in London to travel in a taxi from the convention centre to the emergency room at the hospital. There was, trust me, real fear in the air in Miami. The fight had the morbid fascination of a car crash, somebody wrote. 
Still, over 600 members of the world's media crowded the press conferences, the boxing gyms of Miami and bars to swap stories and, more importantly, tot up their expenses. Reg Guttridge caught up with the great former heavyweight champion Joe Louis one afternoon and they sat and talked about the fight. Joe had been concerned about some sparring sessions of Liston's that he had seen. There had been towers of late nights and poor sessions. Liston truly believed it was an easy, easy fight. Joe was not so sure. Liston is an angry man and he can't afford to be angry fighting Clay, said Louis. Nevertheless, Guttridge and Louis both backed Liston to stop Clay. A lot of people in the know had the same idea. Liston is old and slow, but Clay is not ready. The Beatles tried to get in and pose with Liston at his gym. He evicted them, calling them scruffy bums. Well, actually, it was a bit stronger than that. They were hustled by the PR men to Angelo Dundee's 5th Street gym to see Clay. They were not happy, and Lennon, a boxing fan, was a reluctant tourist. He won't last a round, John Lennon said when asked about Clay. However, they did visit and the photographs from that session remain part of the iconic Muhammad Ali catalogue. Willie Pastrana was in Dundee's gym at this time. Pastrana was the reigning world light heavyweight champion and he had known Clay for a long time. He had a unique personal opinion of the fight. Cassius might be scared and tense at the start. But when he finds Liston slow and easy to hit, he will box like a dream. Pastrano's assessment was rare that February in Miami. The great Sugar Ray Robinson, still the finest fighter in history, also backed Clay and backed him heavy. Clay will win by a knockout. His speed will be the decisive factor. At that time, Robinson had been a professional boxer for 24 years and had fought 176 times. He was clearly not thinking straight. Well, that's what people said. Harry Carpenter was part of the British travelling pack and he left the meeting with Clay concerned, very worried. He's just a little boy in the dark and he's scared, said Carpenter. In the papers on the day of the fight, there was some savage reporting. Jimmy Cannon, a fine scribe, wrote in the New York Journal American, The Sonny Liston Cassius Clay Troop plays a one-night stand here a one-night circus featuring a dancing bear and a freak who never stops talking but says nothing. Those are harsh words. Cannon went for Liston with a full ten count after five rounds. These hallowed men with their old-fashioned typewriters and decades in the dirty reporting business were placing their large reputations on a certainty. Well, that was the thinking. Liston refused at one point to sign the contract for the closed-circuit cinema deal until he had received the guarantee that there would be no segregation. He got his wish, three cinemas cancelled. That is a part of Liston's history that is seldom mentioned. Liston was paid a total of $1,360,500. The previous September, there had been reports of Clay's association with the Nation of Islam and its leader, Elijah Muhammad. It was said Clay was sympathetic to the nation. Our leader, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, teaches us that the black man and the black woman should unite every good in them for the upliftment of the so-called American Negro to the equal of other independent nations who are less in population than we 25 million so-called Negroes. He also teaches us, our leader, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, that you and I, the so-called Negro, the black man, the black woman, we must remember that we cannot 
forever rely upon America to care for us. He says that the good things of this planet Earth could be ours if we would only unite. Malcolm X was in Miami. Malcolm was one of the nation's highest and most controversial figures. George Plimpton, the writer and intellectual, sat with Malcolm just a few days before the fight. Malcolm X believed that Clay was being turned into the villain because of his increasingly open religious beliefs. Plimpton tried to argue that in 1963, the crowd had also booed Clay during his fight with Doug Jones at Madison Square Garden and, Plimpton continued, that had been long before the connection with the nation. Malcolm X countered, the booing at the Doug Jones fight was good-natured. I was there, but the booing is now different, inflamed by columnists, all of them critical of Cassius for being a Muslim. There was most definitely something nasty in the air before the fight. On fight day at the weigh-in, the story of the fight became even bigger. The weigh-in for the Liston fight in Miami is one of the most famous Muhammad Ali incidents. A towel often more fabulous with each telling. Clay was ranting and raving, screaming and lunging and having to be restrained. Liston is just glaring at him. Clay holds his ground at one point, looks back and asks, Who are you looking at, you big ugly bear? The veteran matchmaker and fight figure, Teddy Brenner of Madison Square Garden, was a close witness to the pandemonium. He said, My God, he's scared to death. This kid is out of his mind. He might not show up for the fight. That was it. The rumours started. The fight was off. Clay was not fit to fight. Clay had lost his mind and there will be no fight. The press pack, like a herd of headless bison in bad suits, were trampling all over Miami, trying to find somebody to confirm or deny the rumours. Was it true? They asked just about anybody with a connection to the fight. There was hysteria in Miami, make no mistake. There was a discussion about Clay's state of mind. He was examined by a doctor and he said Clay was in an extreme state of excitement amounting to fear. He is emotionally unbalanced. That was the doctor's opinion. Dundee heard the diagnosis and laughed. He told the worried journalist that Clay was relaxing with friends and that all of his boxers were emotionally unbalanced. Dundee told them there would be a fight. The press could relax, have a drink and prepare for the splendour. George Whiting, the boxing sage of Fleet Street, set the scene in the Evening Standard. We observe the decencies and yell for blood. Middle-aged buffs and their blue-rinsed beauties will be there on a mink parade. Oh, glorious. A mink parade at ringside. And then it was the fight. Nothing much happened in the opening two rounds. Well, Clay was not knocked out or hurt or scared. That much happened. And that was enough to confuse and shock a lot of hardened hacks. Many of their predictions were out the window. Liston's timing and distance was poor. The inactivity was starting to look like a factor. Liston had fought just three fights in a total of six minutes and 14 seconds in three years. Clay had fought 14 times, including three 10-rounders in that period. In round three, Liston was cut under his left eye. Many doubted that he would ever bleed. He suddenly looked 30, 32, 37 or even 40. All of the ages he had been given over the years. Liston rapidly got old fast. That happens to a doom fighter. In round four, Clay was touching his eye, dabbing at it desperately. And at the end of the fourth round, he told Dundee in the corner to cut the gloves off. He believed that something illegal was on Liston's gloves and it had blinded him. Was the fix in? Clay thought it was. Dundee calmed him. Dundee thought the substance in Clay's eyes was whatever had been used to seal the list and cut. Nothing illegal, 
nothing criminal, but his fighter was once again very agitated. The referee, Barney Felix, went to see what all the fuss was about and he admitted that he was seconds away from stopping the fight. Clay was persuaded to come out for the fifth and he survived, ran, avoiding the slow lunges of poor Sonny. In round six, Clay had recovered, he had his sight back and the end was very near for Liston. At the bell, he trudged back to his corner, head low, spirit shattered and he sat down. The referee was called over and told that Liston had injured his left shoulder. The fight was off. Clay was the heavyweight champion of the world. That's it. I shocked the world, Clay screamed, and he did. Rookie Marciano at ringside was scowling. He had picked Liston to win easily. What the hell is this? What did they do? shouted Marciano. Liston went to hospital, was examined by eight doctors, and it was declared he had a genuine injury. A torn muscle in the shoulder, an injury to the long head to the biceps tendon of the left shoulder, to be precise. It would later be claimed that Liston had suffered the injury sparring at the start of the month, but had not wanted to withdraw. Clay called the press hypocrites, telling them, I shouldn't be talking to you. The next day was busy, historical and chaotic. Liston attended the post-fight conference and claimed, he's not as good as Machen or Folly or Williams. They came to fight. He's not as good as Patterson. Liston, it's fair to say, was a sore loser. Liston's left arm was in a sling, but many were dubious about the end, refusing to accept the decision of the doctors. Clay said, I feel sorry for Liston. He's an old man. He's beat up and he's overrated. There was nothing between them. No respect, not a thing, just more and more hate. The sale for the rematch had started. However, it would not be as simple to arrange, and that was because there was other news on the day after the fight. It was officially announced by the leader of the Nation of Islam, Elijah Muhammad, that the new champion was a member. On March the 6th, 1964, Elijah Muhammad revealed that he had renamed Clay Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, heavyweight champion of the world. A rematch was made for Boston in November. However, just three days before the fight, Ali was rushed to hospital with a hernia. He needed an operation. It was at a press conference in Boston that Liston called Ali, Ali Milamed. It was, it seems, a genuine mistake. In the years ahead, opponents would intentionally get it wrong or simply refuse to call him anything other than Cassius Clay. In 1970, there were still British newspapers calling him Cassius. It's hard to believe, but it's true. A new date was set for the following May. Nobody was messing about with this rematch. Liston was certainly not. His clock, by the way, was ticking. Ali met and married a woman in the summer, met her in July and married her in August. Sonji Roy became his first wife. She had been a cocktail waitress. It was an odd towel. Love at first sight, Ali said. Ali had won the world heavyweight title, the only heavyweight title, the real one, the original one. But by the end of the year, there were ridiculous plans to divide the title. It was the start of the alphabet madness, an affliction that taints the modern business of boxing. In 1962, an organisation called the World Boxing Association had been formed. And in 1963, the World Boxing Council was created. Both came with bold and noble agendas and talked of cleaning up the sport. They would eventually charge a sanctioning fee for boxers to fight for their versions of the world title. They each became what they claimed they were there to cleanse. They are the mess. 
In September 1964, the WBA decided to strip Ali of their title and announced plans to organise a tournament to find their heavyweight champion. Most fans had no idea about the split, but the men in suits with terrible egos were plotting away. It was dumb, it was brazen, it was comical, but it would, with each year, become ever more serious and destructive. By 2018, four recognised sanctioning bodies, including the original two, boasted about having a champion of their own at each weight. Pure stupidity. A fight, an eliminator in the WBA tournament, took place in New York in October when George Chevallo beat Doug Jones. Semi-finals were planned for early 1965, with Chevallo due to fight former champion Floyd Patterson and Cleveland Big Cat Williams against Ernie Terrell. It did not run smooth. Meanwhile, in the amateur world, a young fighter from Philadelphia called Joe Frazier lost in the heavyweight final of the American Olympic trials to a man called Buster Mathis. Frazier was just 21 and luck was on his side. Mathis injured his thumb. Frazier was the reserve and he went to the Tokyo Olympics and won the heavyweight gold medal. Frazier was in the game. George Whiting deserves the final words on a year and a fight. And that night, that coronation, that infamous fight in Miami. Clay, he declared, he was still Clay at that time, is the master. This is what George wrote. The horizon is his and all its rainbows. Thanks for that, George. That is what being the heavyweight champion of the world meant in 1964. Watch now. Down he goes for the count of ten. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. The 60s was a golden decade for sports writing, and here are some of the men that made it special. The writing geniuses at ringside for some of the greatest fights ever. Before we move on, a tip of the hat to the Daily Mirror's Peter Wilson, also known as the man they couldn't gag. It's 1964, and Sonny Liston and Cassius Clay are going to fight in Miami. The wait is at an end. Wilson was haunting the Miami Beach area, visiting gyms, looking for a story. Here is the old master preparing his loyal readers for a massacre. He said, quote, This is the keynote of Clay, the childishness, the bland near assumption that the gloves aren't for real, the world of fantasy and the perpetual clowning. Before he had gone into his training schedule, he had turned that stern workroom, the boxing ring, into a child's play area. 
by sharing it with the Beatles and, inevitably, hamming it up more than any of the hairy ones. In the ring, Clay was something less than impressive. He sparred four rounds with two rough pieces of hired muscle, both weighing over 15 stone. When he got his combination of punches going, in a kind of bongo drum rhythm, Clay showed yet again that he has a pair of the fastest fists in the business. But he is so desperately easy to hit. Wilson was convinced after the weigh-in tantrums that Clay was doomed. I shall be surprised if Clay can go more than three rounds. And it wouldn't really surprise me if Liston made it a hat-trick of one-round victories. The London Evening Standard's George Whiting was also in Miami. Here's sweet George on the day of the fight, the preview king. A pup may yap at a tiger. There is no law which says impetuous youth must never get uppity with its elders. And handsome young Cassius Clay, the instant poet with the gush of a babbling brook, has every right to go to war here tonight with sombre Sonny Liston, America's number one menace in the bloodbath trade. Liston's world heavyweight title is at stake. So is his pride, self-respect, fame, prosperity, a truckload of ready money and millions more in the coziest, rosiest of all possible futures. For the winner, that is, the other guy can hang. Who needs losers? Whiting could not make a case for a clay win. This evening's brash contender has sworn that, after he has conquered Big Bear Liston, he will stand in the ring and denounce by name those critics who have belittled his chance. Well, it will be a long list, and it will include me. Liston looks impregnable. I think he will clobber young Mr Clay in very short order. Whiting went for Liston inside four rounds. Here's Wilson on the first round of that shocking fight in Miami that night. How the youngster stood up to the bully in those first three minutes. Liston, looking like a man who thought it would be as easy as breaking sticks, flung out left after left, always feet out of distance. Clay hooked with his left, but took a hard right to the body, and then, after diving and dancing, suddenly cracked in rights and two lefts to the head and jeered and sneered at the champion as he blinked under this revolutionary assault. Wilson makes a special note, one that is overlooked. Liston had been the favourite before the fight. He had been cheered in like a hero at last. The only time he wasn't booed into the ring was the time he was booed out of it after his abject surrender. That's a perfect footnote on Liston's career from Wilson. Here's Whiting on the amazing fight. The words that would have captivated his readers on that cold February morning when they bought the paper. Clay licked all creation here with a victory thought to be impossible when he compelled the mortified retirement of terrible Sonny Liston after six electric rounds that will have shocked every pugilistic prophet this side of Never Neverland. And Liston, the Iron Man from Arkansas, the champion we all thought impregnable has been taken away to hospital. His left shoulder plastered and dislocated. His title gone, his pride shattered in a thousand pieces by the youngster he had held to be of trifling account.
Hard luck on Liston, by all means. But let us get one thing straight. This red-hot world championship victory by the Louisville Lip was no fluke, no accident. To my astonishment, there were times when he played with Liston, toyed with him and made him look like a groping novice. He also made him bleed. This concrete man we had all believed invulnerable against human hurt. You can sense the shock and awe in Whiting's report. He continued, No excuse. No alibi came from the downcast Liston entourage. Their broken giant had been driven away to temporary oblivion in hospital. That, my friend, is final. Fights like Liston and Clay were made for men like Whiting and Wilson. They lived it and loved it. Their writing brought the action, all the chaos, heroes and villains to life on the old pages of the old papers. If you're enjoying this tour through the best of boxing history, you can find more transcripts, archive videos, historical images in the boxing section of the Yahoo UK sports site. That's uk.sports.yahoo.com slash boxing. The history of the heavyweight championship is written and recorded by me, Steve Bunce, produced by Yahoo UK with editing and sound design by Lolita Laguna.